it's January. Yay! And today we finish out Nightmare on Elm Street. The last three movies in the franchise, which someone argue maybe aren't in the franchise, but of course they are. They're just... Yeah, they are. They're, but those first six are pretty solidly together in their style, mostly, except for the first one, etc. And then these are, you know, the new nightmare. A new nightmare? Yeah. And Freddy versus Jason, and then, yeah, that other one. That ninth one. That ninth one. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk about that, but first we'll do some other stuff. I know that Kathy had a game to talk about. Well, you know, I get together with my family, and we're a big board game family, which I love, and we like to do the the very, like, the role-playing ones and the dice rolling, all that. The take can take like two, three hours sometimes to get through one game. Um, so I talked about a few on one of our last episodes. We I recently got as a gift, um, and I'd asked for this because I had reviewed it, and I'm still in the process of learning it. I think we're actually going to play it today. It's it's inspired by the writings of H.P. Lovecraft, and it's a, a, a game called Eldritch Horror. And if you are someone who um, likes sort of the the fantasy around the Cthulhu mythos horror stuff, this is a really awesome game. Nice. So it's a cooperative game anywhere between one to eight players. You can actually play it solo, which I like. I have a game called Horrified that you can do the same thing. So in each game, one of the ancient ones, a being of unimaginable power that uh, predates time itself is awakening. Players take on the roles of investigators who are attempting to solve mysteries, defend humanity from unimaginable horrors, and ultimately banish the ancient one from this world. Um, if the investigators fail at their task, the ancient one awakens and mankind is doomed. So you're really you're you're taking boats you're taking planes it's i think it's supposed to take place in like the 1920s or 30s um and you you play on the entire map so like depending on where you are in each region of the world you could be hit with different illnesses so like you can't move on if you roll a certain thing you catch a fever or cthulhu attacks and you've got so it's really really cool and you like everybody has like their individual passport with health and mind so you either you can die of of failed health or heart or you can die of insanity um so you can actually you know go insane which is kind of cool um so it is really cool one of our uh patrons 452 has played it and he said when i told him i got it he's like "Ooh, you're gonna love this so anybody out there that likes role-playing games or and or hp lovecraft i really recommend it the pieces are amazing um and i know there are a lot of people out there many of us horror fans who just love really strategic board games so i'm i'm gonna say to check this one out and then i just want to mention also that um i i received mandalorian monopoly last year which is such a great game and it's made by monopoly but it's a very different game from monopoly it has some of the the like it has some similarities but the second edition came out this year um so if you if you played the first one and you like it um they there's a new edition that came out this year so th there's just so many really cool games that are, are out right now especially like the adult role-playing you know dice rolling games so check those out that's awesome that sounds great. It sounds, uh, you know, art a little more artsy, a little more 
I don't know if intelligent is the word, but like you have to more like a Dungeons and Dragons, more like a just like that. Yeah. Yeah. More like strategic Mm -hmm. and a lot of thought goes into it as opposed to just like, you know, the quick fun games. Right. Like, yeah, this one, the Elder Tour can take up to three hours. Yeah. One game, which Mm -hmm. I think is really attractive to a lot of people. So mm-hmm. they like it to yep. last and have quests and get into their characters and it's build kinda them. It's kind of like a stuff. board. Yeah, it's like a board game cosplay. Okay, <laughs> <In a way. laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see you have your your T shirt on. Maybe you could be Jung. I in do. The- my, yeah, my niece got me. Um, it says Forever Jung, <laughs> and in the middle it says Forever Carl Gustav. Yeah, and it says Jung at the bottom. So you know, nice. We love him. Psych yeah. reference. Uh, yep. I had a little something to bring up that's a little different than than that. And it, okay, so have you ever heard of this? I guess it's a mythology. I guess it's an an idea, a cultural norm in Korea. It's something called fan death. Have we talked about hmm. that before? No, we haven't. So fan death is the alleged death of humans as a result of running an electric fan in a closed room. With oh, a- I was thinking like you know, people no longer liking a celebrity. Nope. (laughs) Like dying from a fan? Running an electric fan in a closed room with unopened or no windows. While no reliable evidence supports the existence of fan death, belief in fan death persists in the mid-2000s, to the mid-2000s in South Korea, and also to a lesser extent in Japan. Like, so now most people know it's not real but up until you know less than 20 years ago they they were so where the idea came from is kind of unclear but fears around electric fans date back to their introduction to korea with stories dating in like the 1920s and 30s apparently and they would warn they would warn you of risks of nausea asphyxiation and facial paralysis because of the new technology the electric fan um so i guess facial paralysis yeah Right? Maybe it's just the wind blowing really hard against your face. <laughs> One conspiracy theory is that the South Korean government created or perpetuated the myth as propaganda to curb the energy consumption of South Korea households during the 1970s energy crisis. So that's one little thing. Um, there's, I guess there's... Um, a 1927 article that's called strange harm from electric fans that of course is saying like, no, don't turn them on. I guess during the summer mainstream South Korean news sources regularly report alleged cases of fan death. (laughs) A typical example is like this one. Uh, A man reportedly died on Monday morning after sleeping with an electric fan running the 59 year old victim only known by his surname, Min was found dead with the fan fixed directly at him. <laughs> like, like he slept with it like six inches in front of his face? I guess. I don't know. I mean, I imagine, no, it's just there and it's facing him and he's dead and they go, it's the fan. I don't this know. This is bizarre. <laughs> the article also notes that there's, quote unquote, no evidence the fan caused the death. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> but I guess there's like a misunderstanding in translation resulting in his accidental endorsement of the fan death theory. So they kind of like afterwards started to say like, no, no, we didn't mean it was just the way it was worded. We didn't mean to blame the fan. Um. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So be careful. We didn't mean to, we didn't mean to insult the fan. <laughs> okay. So I'll just read this one last bit. Uh, this, okay. the Korea, 
Consumer Protection Board, a South Korean government-funded public agency, issued a consumer safety alert in 2006, warning that asphyxiation from electric fans and air conditioners was among South Korea's five most common summer accidents or injuries, according to the data that they had collected. And then this was a little announcement they put out. If bodies are exposed to electric fans or air conditioners for too long, it causes bodies to lose water and causes hyperthermia. If directly in contact with a fan, this could lead to the death from an increase of carbon dioxide saturation concentration and decrease of oxygen concentration. The risks are higher for the elderly and patients with respiratory problems. From 2003 to 2005, a total of 20 cases were reported through the CISS involving asphyxiations caused by leaving electric fans and air conditions on while sleeping, and it says to prevent asphyxiation, timers should be set, wind direction should be rotated, and doors should be left open, Kathy. This is really intense. <laughs> I know. So, like, it, it, they take it quite seriously. They did. I mean, I don't know about recently, but up until the mid 2000s, it was obviously a thing. The government was saying, no, don't do that. You will die. But I, I love the part where it's, 20 cases in two years. <laughs> so even if it was true, like 20, that's, that's right. just, that's like, and maybe something else was going on. Yeah, maybe so. I'm just that saying the data doesn't seem sound. <laughs> I, I, I feel another horror film, like a K attack of the killer fans. <laughs> killer I mean, sofa. Have, I was a fan yeah, of I was that. Say, what's the one with the couch? The yeah. Killer sofa, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Killer sofa is ludicrous and I love it. But yes. Right. Wow. Okay. I'm, so I, you're welcome. Note uh, to self. Don't, note to self. you know, heed the advice. No wonder I've always, uh, no wonder I've always liked central air. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. So to lift us out of that quagmire of ridiculousness, I believe you had an oh, article you wanted man. to talk about. Yeah, this is an article off BuzzFeed. Uh, you know, I, I just know um, as much as we're all trying to move on and get on and, and live in the midst of uh, COVID that, that, you know, we have talked about on the show just a general and, and totally appropriate level of malaise. I think that we're all starting to experience every time we hear new variants come out, which, um, you know, we're going to continue to hear new variants and, and that's okay. We're going to continue to live with COVID. It's just, um, I really appreciate, uh, you know, the president speaking out and saying, listen, we're, we're not back in March of 2020. We have to be careful, but we now live in a, a world with, vaccines if you choose to get that or medications that are coming out that if you do get COVID, you know, it significantly lowers the chance of being hospitalized or dying. So that's awesome. We're learning how to live in the midst of this, you know, shitty situation. But one of the things that can happen, you know, from a mental health standpoint is every time we hear of a new variant, um, we can, we automatically get triggered back back to um, are we going to relive what we had to you know live through in in 2020 and I think that's a, a normal reaction and either people get angry or they get depressed or they get anxious because now we hear new variants and people worry the world's going to shut down again and it's not I mean I'm traveling again um, in March and I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to Africa again and uh, thankfully it's not one of the countries that the Omicron thing is really blowing up, but you know, it's blown up over here too. And I think we just have to remember, this is this is what we're dealing with right now. We just have to be really careful. So this article talks about 
some things that we can do for our mental health during the midst of either the malaise that you're feeling or, um, you know, triggered, vulnerable, traumatized. Uh, so it's buzzfeednews.com. The article is fairly recent. It's from December 2nd. So when Omicron really started to, you know, hit, hit the news. Um, so they talk about how the pandemic has made people feel traumatized and vulnerable. And this is, and this Omicron is like a trigger, um, and how it can take people back to, you know, again, like I was just mentioning, feeling like we're back in that space. So one of the things that they did is they interviewed a few psychologists and they said, you know, what do you suggest to people who might be feeling this, that and the other about this new um, variant? And they said, first of all, everyone's going to react differently to it. You know, we all have different um, ways of, you know, responding to this from mental health place. So we want to check in with ourselves, right? Um, so we want to check in, like, what are our emotional reactions? Any emotional reaction that you have is normal. Um, so to not either think somebody else's reaction is wrong or your reaction is wrong, just recognize how it can affect our mood and how we might act towards other people, especially if these are people that don't follow the same protocols as you do. That can be really triggering, too. Um, focusing on things we can control, right? So um, focus on what you can do. Um, you know, wear a mask, get vaccinated if that's something that, you know, you believe in or just get tested. Be aware of things that might trigger anxiety. So if you notice your tr reaction to triggers, um, making some behavioral modifications to help you look out for yourself. So she says, you know, I realized that every day at 6 p.m. when I'd get this email, my mood tanked. And she would, so she unsubscribed from the email so she wouldn't be overexposed to information, which sort of leads to the next one, which is try worry postponement. Um, and what they mean by that is it's really important to not overload ourselves with COVID news or political news or any news really, but more specifically to what we're talking about is um, be, be mindful of how much you're taking in at what times of day. So they're like, you know, endlessly reading a million news articles can really interrupt our sleep. Um, it can cr create more anxiety, depression. It's like, it's like information overload. Um, so they say, I almost viewed it, view it like a news pandemic and a COVID pandemic in terms of the impact on mental health. Recognize when you're ruminating, right? So rumination is an endless cycle of negative thoughts, sort of like a ham being on a hamster wheel. So, you know, we can journal, we can exercise. If you have the opportunity to go to therapy, all of those things can help us break that cycle. Avoid catastrophizing. So imagining, avoid imagining the most extreme and worst possible scenario, like the world is ending, okay? Um, some of us are just more prone to that. If we have an ache or a pain, we might think we have a terminal illness. We might do that with the, the pandemic too. Oh, we're going to go back to March of 2020. The world's going to shut down again. I'm going to be isolated. Avoid using alcohol and drugs as a coping skill or a coping mechanism. You know, it can be temporary and within, you know, limited consumption, it can be okay. But if this becomes sort of your regular way of getting through the day, make sure you're getting um, some help for that. Contextualize the news, right? So realize we've been here before and we've gotten to the other side. So contextualize what you're hearing. 
We're getting information, but we are not where we were before. So not to lose sight of the, of the scientific accomplishments that we've made and we are moving, moving forward. Make sure that you're engaging in feel-good activities. Create as much normalcy as you can. Talk to other people. Take care of yourself or others. Getting outside of yourself and doing things for other people. Seeking help could be anything from therapy to friends to life coaches, to telehealth, there's national suicide prevention lines, LGBT lines, domestic violence lines. So it's just a reminder, I think, that we are we are moving forward, but it can certainly feel like when you hear everybody needs to get a booster, and now we're looking at the fourth booster, it can start to feel like, oh my gosh, this is never ending. But really just to keep perspective that we are moving forward and we're making major advancements and we're never going to be where we were before. Well, and, and if for no other reason, because we're we're adaptive creatures, <laughs> we're That's adapting right. to to what we have. So even if the numbers were just as bad as before, we're adaptive. So we're doing like mm-hmm. you said, we're doing all of the things we need to do to feel a little bit safer in the world. That's just that's human, right? To be risk averse, and so everybody's mm-hmm. going to act uh, differently. I know that a lot of people you know, we're inconvenienced over the holidays. So I don't want to minimize that because like four of the major airlines canceled like 900 flights over Christmas Day and Christmas Eve and everything because of certain areas of the country. And of course, places like Maryland, Washington State are are very affected by the variant. And I know I'm being required to get the booster now, which I I figured Mm -hmm. was going to be part of the, you know, which I kind of always suspected in the beginning. I mean, we didn't know if it was going to be a yearly shot like a flu I, yeah, vaccine I, I or not you know i think eventually we will get there um when it's under more control i think it will uh I, I but i think while we're in the midst of you know the variants doing what they're doing we just don't have the immunity that we need yet yeah so i'm and i happen to be a person that's okay with going with the science and getting the boosters and i have to for my profession anyway mm-hmm. so it's not like i have i do not have the choice in order to keep my job and i know a lot of people walk out of jobs quit jobs etc in in uh, medical fields because they believe yep. that they should not uh, get the vaccine etc and you know that's your that's your right personal choice mm-hmm. that's your personal choice but uh, i like my job so yeah <laughs> and i also like my life and want to be alive and listen to the science and that just makes sense to me personally Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's where it's at i um i'm real hopeful i can go to sundance that's all i have to say they have very strict health requirements of course for me to attend and so i'm i'm doing all of those things and i really hope that my flight happens and that the variants are not affecting utah at that time but also i'm going to have to my particular job doesn't interact a lot with the general public. I'm not one of the theater workers, so mm-hmm. I have some level of protection around like not being around hundreds of people all day. But mm-hmm. also, I just will do all the safety precautions and live my life. And like I said, at least we are not where we were almost two years ago. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think the next thing that we should probably do, because I am very excited for this, is... gets real excited. It's almost embarrassing how exciting you get. So, so excited. A little thing we like to call... (laughs) She's like, I'm just going to come in wherever I want. 
I don't know who cow is, but it's horror facts with cow. <laughs> I know you're like, cause you want to go meow, like that. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be the rocker that goes. Meow. Is that it? Is that, you, think that's what it is? you know how some of the rockers will do that. Meow. They, they do. Some of them do that. We okay, like you yours ready? better though. <laughs> <sighs> okay. How many gallons of fake blood were used on the set of the reanimator. Oh, wow. So so I'll just say this. Josh Nolan, the makeup artist, said it was the bloodiest movie he had ever worked on. <laughs> okay. a lot. So the answer is a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take, take a guess. Number okay. two. What New Year's movie is centered around a New Year's Eve celebration where a Los Angeles DJ receives a phone call saying that when New Year strikes in each time zone, someone will be murdered and she will be the last one. Yeesh. She meaning the DJ. Yeah. yeah, gotcha. Okay. All right. Number three, Kevin Williamson, who wrote the script for Scream, mm-hmm. was influenced by a documentary called Turning Point based on what real life serial killer? Mm-hmm. Got it. Number four. In Carl Lemley's Dracula, Dracula quotes, listen to them, children of the night, what music they make. When was this line recycled? In what horror film could they reuse this line? And then the last one, what comedy director who loves the horror genre produced the movie The Fly? Oh, yeah. Cool. Looking forward to that. Very exciting. We will be right back talking about the last three films in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And that will wrap it up because we're very excited to get to the next franchise that we're tackling, which will be Scream. But today we're going to finish up Nightmare on Elm Street and we will be right back. jumped right in there <laughs> i was having some fun <laughs> we're back we've had a lot of we've had a lot of uh wildlife around here my my brother and sister-in-law have a lot of open land and woods behind us and yeah lot, lots of things cawing and howling and yeah i bet uh, that's been interesting for you right like to uh yeah, we've had to watch the dogs because the of hawks course. are bigger. They're big. There's one that actually lands on their back porch, and the thing is larger than Liam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're pretty amazing looking, but we just have to be super careful. Yeah, you just have to keep the little tiny doggies inside. Exactly. Cool. So, so we'll start off with Wes Craven's New Nightmare which is the seventh movie in the franchise. I'm just going to read a little description, then we'll get right into it. Reality and fantasy meet in unsettling ways in this installment of the long-running horror series, which finds 
director Wes Craven and actors Heather Langenkamp and Robert England all portraying themselves, which is pretty fun. As Heather considers making another film with Craven, her son Dylan falls under the spell of the iconic disfigured villain Freddy Krueger. Eventually, Langenkamp must confront Freddy's demonic spirit to save the soul of Dylan. I like this one. I love I love this one. We were talking before we were recording. This is, you know, them Wes getting back into, well, I mean, it's very 90s, <laughs> which I kind of like. It's got the scream. It it's the precursor to scream. Mm-hmm. There's a I, lot I of that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's the precursor to scream. And um, I just love how Wes Craven's just such a, a part of this film, too. I mean, from the the eggplant lady suit, you know, like that she wears this like eggplant colored lady suit, you know, <laughs> it's like cut to the, to the talk show characters that are so nineties and, and some of the character actors that are in this movie. It's like, if you were around in the nineties, if you were watching a lot of TV and film in the nineties, like it's all very, very familiar. <laughs> Absolutely. Sam Rubin for Christ's sake. Oh, I know. The the cast is good. The, I I also feel, and what I've read is this is really who Wes Craven wanted Freddie to be. Um, Freddie's way more of a threatening serial killer pedophile in this film, and it goes back to like a real horror film versus like a horror comedy film. And yeah, he's pretty terrifying in this. Yeah, and I think they con. I mean, script-wise, they contrast it accordingly because they have Robert England playing himself, supposedly, you know, the nice guy, the actor, the regular guy, and then they have they get to have Freddie be kind of more demonic in that, and so it it that juxtaposition works script-wise. Whereas if you just had like a funny Freddie and then a normal like Clark Kent kind of situation going on, I mean, you could do that, but that's far it more work. boring. <laughs> If you were going to do that. Yeah. Well, and I also think, too, because they're trying to, um, you know, essentially these are just actors that played in a horror film. So, you know, you're thinking, oh, there's nothing there's nothing you need to be scared of. It's just a horror film. It's not real. Right. But then when it starts to become real, like you said, if Freddie was funny, it wouldn't have the same meaning, which is that, you know, the more that. um Wes writes the more Freddie intensifies so yeah it wouldn't make much sense if he wasn't the vicious like cold-blooded psychopathic yeah I imagine (laughs) the when they were writing a script they just you know they that was part of the part of the deal and I like I said I really do like the self-referential style of Mm -hmm. what Scream ultimately like really leaned into but you can see him doing it here obviously and I just really like that and of course there's a blonde on the ceiling because it's a callback to <laughs> to the original. You got to just you got to have a blonde on the ceiling covered in blood, which absolutely I appreciated uh, as well. And the little pl- boy who plays Dylan, you know, he had a big uh, career as as a <laughs> as a horror in the horror films in the eighties and nineties. That little boy, he's the same little boy from uh, I believe he's the same little boy from Pet Cemetery. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and I mean, Lynn Shay is in this one. She's in, yep. so that's a callback too. Yeah, to her mm-hmm. first role in the in the series. There's there's a lot of fun effects in this one too. I mean, the Freddy waterfall and um, 
there's a there's a there's a part where <laughs> he like eats this head and I don't know there's all these really fun effects yeah. in this one I I look forward to that in these movies I've realized you know I haven't watched all these some of them I seem familiar some are of course are very familiar and then others I haven't seen at all and I imagine I don't know that I ever watched this movie back in the day because the 90s I saw were this not- in the theater mm. and how yeah. was that I liked it when I saw it in the theater. So Miko Hughes is the boy that I'm thinking of. And gosh, he looks so grown up when I look up the cast now. He's like a man, which is so weird because he was the little boy in Pet Cemetery that comes back up with the little scalpel. You know, he's like, ah. he always yeah. plays like, he plays possessed as a little kid <laughs> so well, but also in like a really, di- there's like a dichotomy there because he's also really adorable when he plays it that way. So um, yeah, I remember seeing this in the theater and really liking it. Yeah. So I liked I liked watching it this time for me more of a more of a fossilized 90s film, you know, but I would if someone I don't know that I'd go on on purpose, go sit down and watch it. But if someone were throwing it in, I would definitely be like up for up for the rewatch, you know, up up for the watch along. And then we watched Freddy versus Jason again. Mm hmm. Because this is where it falls in the order. And I don't know, such a fun movie. But let me just read the little synopsis here. Two horror icons face off in this supernatural movie. Disfigured serial killer Freddy Krueger, who attacks his victims in their dreams, has lost much of his power since citizens of his town have become less afraid of him. Figures, right? Because he's a cultural... (laughs) joke at this point enlisting the help of fellow violent murderer jason Voorhees, freddie orchestrates a new killing spree however when the hockey mask wearing psychopath won't stop chopping up freddie's intended victims the two ghouls start to battle each other yeah this is an interesting one because you really you know freddie's really in charge right freddie's in charge but i think what's really funny about this one i think i mentioned it the last time we we talked about it is he continues to get pissed off because Jason starts to steal his victims. Yeah, I know. <laughs> cause, cause, J- cause Jason's just like, I mean, I, I, there's an article um, I found that talks about, you know, who would actually win Freddy Krueger versus Jason Voorhees here. Here's who would win. They ultimately end up making it a tie, but they do suggest that um, they can really see Jason just completely brutalizing Freddy. Cause he's kind of like this little sidekick that he might be smarter and he might um, be, you know, more psychopathic in the sense that he's just like incredibly organized and and just, you know, I don't know. And he's he was human at one point, although Jason was he's like the supernatural boogeyman. And I just feel like Jason is so relentless and massive that he would just continue to pound the hell out of freddy till he was gone and yeah, I mean, I mean essentially Jason- what he yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say Jason's not gonna think about it. He's not going to think about he's it. He's not going to, he doesn't speak. So he's not going to say something clever and waste a lot of time. <laughs> no. He's going to bludgeon. He's just yeah. going to keep coming and he doesn't die. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Freddie dies over and over again in these movies. I mean, Jason That's dies right. over and over again in these movies too. But I mean, after a certain point, as we established, he doesn't die anymore. He just regenerates and he never and stops. Jason- Jason exists in real time too. Yeah. You know, yeah. although they they coexist in this, it's only because Jason sort of meets him in his 
world, but it's know. kind of funny how it starts though too with like Freddie as the ringleader, like giving Jason permission to do things. That's like very mm-hmm. that's a funny way to do that, you know, first half of the movie or so before yeah. they start to pit against each other and then we go for, you know. Yep. Godzilla yep. versus Mothra in the end or whatever. Totally. And those big three scenes, there's like three really big fight scenes that are just f- fan service beyond. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. So it says, Freddy Krueger's list of powers and abilities. Godlike ability to manipulate his victim's dreams. Ability to have your dream wounds appear in real life. Psychic powers that range in both dream world and real life. Soul consumption to make himself stronger. And an expert at wearing a glove that's equipped with, with knives. Jason's list of power and abilities. Cold and calculated killing tactics. Sheer brute strength. Immortal. Insanely durable. And they <laughs> consider him highly intelligent. So that's interesting. Maybe, maybe the cane hotter, Jason. I know. Uh, wouldn't have that yeah. been... Oh, gosh. Wouldn't that have been it, cool? It's a good fight. Yeah, good fights. Good fights. Uh, yeah. I know that I still love the one. I think one of my favorite like cinematic moments in all these movies is when Jason is on fire for many, many minutes and walking mm-hmm. through the cornfield. I know I talked about that last time, but it, it came up this time too. And I immediately riveted me. I'm often doing other things while I'm watching these movies just because yeah. we've watched them so many times. Uh, some of them anyway, this one we've watched a few times and mm-hmm. I don't know. I just like it rivets me like, okay, now I'm going to watch, even though it's not Kane Hodder, I, you know, I give that moment a pass, but, uh, <laughs> it's okay, very fun. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's all right. I don't have to be yeah. completely. And then he just hack, 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 hack through the party. He just, yeah, I just, he's just walking through this party in the cornfields of these teenagers and is just like swipe, swipe, swipe. And I'm just like, this is glorious. Yeah. I like it there's a lot. some funny there's some really great scenes in this one too when they just compl- they they really start to go at it um and you know dragging them across the window the window glass and then the, everything going on fire it's very dramatic <laughs> sure is. it sure it's is. almost like a it's almost like a greek tragedy like there's just all this crazy stuff going on and blowing up and um it, it's very dramatic which i find incredibly funny and entertaining so i do think this one is supposed to be you know Clearly, it's not supposed to be taken seriously and really just for fans who love slashers and, and love their, to, you know, it's like watching Batman and Superman, right? Like fight yeah. each other. And I, a lot of people love this one. And I think it's actually attractive to people who don't need to, re- you don't really need to watch the whole franchise to understand or enjoy this movie. I think it helps a little bit to have watched, and I think most people have watch the first one and you know the first movie in each in each franchise right just so you have the sense of who these people are i mean you could really just watch the first one and then watch this if you want because i mean obviously those of us who've watched all of them i did find you know that was the difference and the reason why i wanted to talk about this one is because again even though we just watched it recently is that I did experience it slightly differently having just watched all of the Freddy because when we watched it the first time we'd watched all the Jason. And so I was really coming at it from a Jason perspective of knowing that character or, or what they had done with that character, I should say for all of the movies. And this one I was coming at it knowing both characters and having just freshly watched all the Freddy stuff. 
So I did experience it differently. Like I understood more of Freddy, Freddy's character and what has been going on because in that in Freddy's in Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, Freddy's character is really congruent. I mean, I get that he gets really campy and all of that, but the rules don't change. They don't fuck around with that part. And so I did experience this differently because, of course, Jason's character has been fucked around a lot in his franchise. It's like, yeah. you know, different yeah. and all over the place. And so when I came to this movie the first time, it was a little like, ah, OK, huh? you know, like fun movie. Great. But now I sort of I feel like I understand the Freddy character and I can enjoy this movie even better. So and then the last one, the last one, A Nightmare on Elm Street. 2010. Teenagers Nancy, Quentin, Chris, Jesse, and Dean are all neighborhood friends who begin having the same dream of a horribly disfigured man who wears a tattered sweater and a glove made of knives. The man, Freddy Krueger, who's in this time around played by Jackie Earl Haley, terrorizes them in their dreams, and the only escape is to wake up. But when one of their number dies violently, the friends realize that what happens in the dream world is real and the only way to stay alive is to stay awake. So this is a reboot, basically. Yeah, this had a, a somewhat of a scream feel to me, okay. this movie, um, which is interesting because Kyle Gallner, I think his name is, he's actually in the new Scream and he's one of the actors in this film. Mm -hmm. um, but it did, I, I don't know if it's because it was made in 2010 and it was influenced a little bit by scream but it felt a little bit more like that for me than um nightmare on elm street just the way that it was the 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 teenage characters were written and i don't know the feel of it it just felt more like that to me i didn't dislike it um i actually liked it as a standalone i mean if you compare it to the original nightmare on elm street it, it's it can be very different um nancy is somewhat of a loner she's written a little bit more savvy and um you know not as young and vulnerable although she is there's like a very edgy kind of loner quality about her which i didn't hate i'm not a huge fan of Rumi Mara, rooney mara but um i thought she was pretty good in this and i didn't dislike her um so i don't know i think as a standalone movie i think they did a really good job at, at really describing the backstory of his pedophilia and they just went a little bit more into the history and and the characters were very different and so i think if i had never seen the original nightmare on elm street i didn't dislike this movie yeah i thought it was faithful to to the franchise and yeah it's scary it's trying to be scary it's trying to have freddie be scary there's no humor that i could remember mm -mm. not much except except he does throw out a horror facts with kath <laughs> did he? he says the brain he goes the brain survives for seven minutes after you die <laughs> six, he goes we have six more minutes to play i love that line <laughs> that's a pretty good line so i had never seen this film at least i have no memory of it which doesn't mean i didn't see it it just means it was not memorable but I don't think I have had ever seen it. And so I did come into it with a clean conscious, meaning I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. And I immediately, so the first time you see Freddie in this, it's full makeup. And I immediately recognized the actor. <laughs> I was like, ah, 
That's the guy from the Bad News Bears from the 70s, who's the little kid in Bad News Bears who drives the motorcycle and Jodie Foster really? and him have a, that's you know. That's who plays Freddy? That's him. Oh, <laughs> um, my gosh. That's, that's Jackie hilarious. Earl Haley. And I recognize him because he's also in another, I don't know if it's 70s or 80s movie called Break. <laughs> I want to say Breaking Bad because now it's in my <laughs> that's in my head. But he was in a bicycle movie that I that was oh my back God, in the it's day. Totally him. Yeah. I recognized him immediately because I I was like, that's Jackie Earl Haley. <laughs> like, that's the kid from from the Bad News Bears and also from Breaking Away, not Breaking Bad. <laughs> that's my... You can, you know, even though he looks so much older, clearly, because yeah. he is older. When it's you just his, his face, shape. His and smile. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was yeah. his size. Freddie is all of a sudden, you know, 5'2", or however tall Jackie <laughs> is. I was like, that's a very short person. And then the shape yeah. of his face, he's very unique looking. Like, I just didn't recognize him for whatever reason. I was like, is that your curious hate? Because I did no research before watching it. I really wanted to kind of come in clean. And, and then also, here's the other thing that kind of fed that was that what you'll find is is Freddie's voice is like a voiceover a lot of the time. And it's very, mm. it's very uh, overdubbed. So from a sound perspective, it's overdubbed and it's very treated. Meaning if you know Jackie Earl Haley from his 4 million guest appearances all throughout like the eighties and nineties or whatever is he has a very distinct voice as well. So they, it's, it's, it's much different than <laughs> what you hear. So the voice was very, from a sound perspective, like very present, like very forward in the mix and overdubbed and very treated. Like they made it, I assume because of what his voice actually sounds like. And then also because they wanted it to seem like it was a voice in your head. I'm imagining there's some creative perspective there, but I mean, I'm giving them a lot of credit with that. And so that, that sound treatment of that voice kind of annoyed me a lot of the time, but that's okay. just my, that was just my ear. Like, I don't know. It was kind of disconnected from the, from the acting in the story or whatever. It just kind of, but it was fun to recognize him because those old, it says he's old, five, five. Yeah. He's a shorty. He's, so he's tiny when he walks yeah. into those rooms, <laughs> like there's some, some wide shots where he like walks through the door and I'm like, Oh, that, yep. That's a short yeah. person. That is not Freddie. That's not Freddie Krueger. And that's really hard to step into that. Like I like that actor a lot. So it's nothing against him. I just think stepping into that after a whole franchise with England, like, uh, mm, that's rough. Yeah, that is. It's not to say that I wouldn't sit and watch it again, but I uh, I would really consider not doing that. Like, I, I, I'm really glad we watched it and great, but yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. As a standalone, it's fun. But once you start comparing it, it gets a little Oh, yeah. Well, and I just yeah. don't want to see it again, really. So there's yeah. that. I mean, that's kind of part of my rating system is that would I want to, would I sit down and watch this again? Like if someone said, hey, let's watch this movie, would I say yes or no? And that's mm -hmm. sometimes often how I, how I give something a four star over a three star, you know? So. Sure. Yeah. So the franchise is over. What did, what, how was this for you? Unless you had something else to say. I mean, you know, I like Freddy. Um, I had seen one, two, and three uh, a number of times when I was younger. But there were a few in there, maybe like five and six, that I only saw once. I don't even know if I saw four. It was kind of nice to go back and yeah, watch them again and 
just relive that childhood experience. I, I, Freddie's a great villain. Mm-hmm. Robert Englund, he's he was so great in that role and um, brought so much terror and comedy. And you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the slashers. So for me, I'll, I'll watch these any day. Um, so I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. I mean, for me, as I've said before, you know, now we've watched all the way through the Halloween series. We've watched and talked about all the way through. Nightmare on Elm Street, and it's been, and Friday the 13th, like all the way through all those big three series now, we've talked about and watched them in, in order and stuff. And so I feel like, I feel like I have a, a sense of it now <laughs> because, yeah. you know, I came to horror late, although I did find a, a, a clown that I painted as a kid the other day in a Ooh. box because I've been going through the garage. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, early, early clown terror going on there. I, I, what I'm finding is I was much more into an unconscious love of horror when I was a kid than, than I knew, or that I was probably allowed to feel because my family was not, not into that. And no, not into that at all. So I do feel like now we've talked about all these biggies and I'm looking forward to more franchises. I'm absolutely looking forward to our, our discussions around scream, but, but I know that next week we're going to do a true crime doc that Kathy watched originally and, and and I'm watching. So we're going to do that. We, you know, we flip back and forth and then we'll get into some scream after that and some other stuff. But Thanks for doing this with me. I feel like yeah. now I've watched all those because mo- there was a bunch of movies in all three of these franchises that I had not seen. So now I feel like I have a sense of the things, which I which I feel I feel good about that. I feel like a real horror fan now. You feel accomplished <laughs> because Shannon is a completist. <laughs> it's true. I'm a completionist. What can I tell you? Yeah. I do give up on things sometimes, and it's always a joyful occasion for everyone who knows me. It's like, wait, did you DNF that? Are you kidding me right now? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, I did. She did not finish. <laughs> it's rare. It is rare. I mean, you got you got yourself all the way through Chernobyl. I mean, it took you like a year to do it, but you did. It. <laughs> I remember that. Oh my god, what was that oh like last god. season or something? Oh, we talked about that a while. I think that was like our second season. Oh, that might have been. That. Yeah, where it was like, have you? And then Kathy, of course, have you finished that yet? Have you finished that yet? <laughs> no. How's Chernobyl? No. no, no, I have not. All right, we're going to come back with some horror watches and books, and so we will be right back. <laughs> I just have that cue listed as spooky. <laughs> that one is like, uh, it reminds me of the time that you told the story of your soul being taken by aliens. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. The theremin. Mm-hmm. It really, it really gives it a, a vibe, a mood. All right. Let's talk books and movies, shall we? We shall. I wanted to give a little haunted vagina update. 
For those of you who are following along, I'm reading the book The Haunt of Vagina by Carlton Millick III, and every couple of weeks I read a couple of chapters and I give a little update. So now we are solidly, the boyfriend is solidly in the haunted vagina, crawling up to God knows where. So you may remember that our little lady with the haunted vagina has got her boyfriend inside of her crawling to figure out where the haunting is coming from. He's, it's basically a haunted house, as we can tell, a haunted house, and he's gone in to, you know, be the hero, save the day, except right. he happens to be inside of her vagina and now inside sure. of her. And so last we left, he was crawling up there, and it was he had gotten himself all the way up into the canal, and then now what, right? So he keeps crawling, and finally he sees like a little tiny pin-sized hole he's like of light you know to get mm-hmm. to the other side so to speak so he keeps crawling and she happens to be masturbating out there to keep everything lubed okay. up for him because sure, hard to move yeah. through if it's not and so That's then correct. of course timed perfectly when he gets to the little pinhole size light she has an orgasm and spits him into the next thing which would be that makes sense you know <laughs> I mean, it, it's very logical. Uh, yes, it is. And so now he's he gets in there, and then now he's in this open space, as you might imagine, this open cavernous place that has kind of, from what I remember, it's like fields and you know, <laughs> lovely light and air, and it's room to stand up you know all of that so he is he like living in there no no now he's just there so now he's like okay well i don't see any ghosts here so maybe this isn't where i need to be but then there's a whole chapter of him sort of he sees someone walk by at one point who knows we don't know someone else yes a person walks by and he's like hey she just um she just lets everyone in well where where you go and then, you know, the person just walks by, doesn't talk to him. So we're just not sure. We just don't know if that's a person or or what. And then he sees kind of the next thing. He's like walking and walking. And then he, he falls down. He gets mud in his shoes. You know, that whole deal. I don't know. Well, of I'm, course. I'm yes, making some of, of that up because I don't remember exactly. Okay. But <laughs> he keeps walking because he's trying to get to the next thing, right? Because, okay, sense. there's no ghosts here. What do I do? So... He keeps walking. He sees a ladder. He climbs the ladder because there's like another hole or orifice or whatever at the top of the ladder. So he's going to climb the ladder and, and go that direction. And if you know anything about the body, you imagine like, okay, now what's he going to crawl into the intestines? Or, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I have no idea. Because I don't know what cavern he's in. I'm assuming that, you know, there's some ovaries hanging around, you know. Uh, some, like more than two? I don't know. I figure okay. that's where he's at. They don't men- I don't remember them mentioning that, but it's a forest in there. It's like a forest oh vibe in there. <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> well, if you went in there, would you stay around for a while? Does it, I mean, do they describe it in like a comforting way? Yeah, yeah, it's not a it's not a scary place. That's I I figure that's kind of why he's got to move on and figure out where the hell the haunting is coming from because it's like this is kind of a forest area. It's not too scary. It's mm-hmm. kind of empty. Like there's nothing really around, but I guess f- foliage. 
Got it. I don't know. There's a log cabin at one point. A log cabin? Yeah. There's woods and it's a, there's like an old log cabin and he knocks on the door to try and see if like anybody's living in the log cabinet cabin. So, so it's like an Airbnb in her womb? Apparently. Okay. I mean, I don't think anybody's renting it at the moment. There's like a wep. There's a rifle inside the cabin. Emily, he goes in, he checks it out. There's no one really around. And there was um, a waiting list for Christmas. I guess. I mean, you would stay there, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I mean, if we could get there a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be bothered. It doesn't sound like there's that many people in there. <laughs> there just wasn't anybody in there. So he checks out the cabin and, and he's like, okay, well, I, I guess I'll go. There's no, but there's tools there. Like someone's been using them. So I don't know if this is the person that, you know, works inside of her vagina or we're not, we're just not sure, you know, but he gets to the ladder and he climbs the ladder. He balances on it just right. And I think he uses uh, like an ax handle to, <laughs> to like pickaxe his way into the thing and he his hand sort of reaches the hole and he forces himself inside and so that's that's the next piece moving on to the next like tunnel i guess so that's where we're at thanks for putting up with me wow I mean, that <laughs> kind of i mean that took quite a turn yeah i mean we're really crawling up in there so to speak I mean, first it was like something crawling out of it, right? And then yeah. he went in. I really did think it was going to go that way. Like I thought maybe they were just going to have to fight demons that were crawling out of her vagina for a few weeks and see what happens. But I, I admire the pluck because they got to find where they're coming from. Yeah, it's it's really taken a turn. Got to okay. go after I the mean, source. I, I appreciate all that. Yeah, cool. Now, now talk about a normal book. I think... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is normal? Uh, exactly. Um, I finished the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Great. And um, I can just tell you right now that I, I, I just, every time a book ends that he writes, I just want more. And I think this is such a great metaphor for um, narcissism, this book. I mean, obviously, when we talk about vampires, there's always, there are always elements of that. But the way that this man manipulates this town <laughs> and the way that people just, the blind obedience and the manipulation and the love bombing, and then the one person who knows what's going on and is completely gaslit by everything around and everyone around her, um, and the way that she ends up, you know, in this war with him where everybody just is like, raising him up like a god you know i mean it, it really is such a great um i mean the book has so much comedy as well so it's not i don't even know if that was grady's you know intention to write on like anything related to narcissism but it is such a metaphor um for narcissistic abuse this book in a very like tongue-in-cheek comedic way but there are some really painful elements as you get further into the book in the way that a couple of these characters really have to sacrifice themselves um, and then also question their sense of reality and things like that I mean it's just really brilliantly written but then so flippin funny at the same time so it has all the feels um, and the way that it ends, you're just like, okay, I'm ready for the series. I'm ready. More, 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 more. Um, I loved it. But I he doesn't. He doesn't it. do that. He doesn't write series. So yeah. So this was um, his. This, this, but this one's supposed to be the television series, correct? 
I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, I believe uh, Charlize Theron is going to play in the television series for this. Great. So. What I meant is um, series of books, like 10 books in oh, the series. right, right, right. Book series. And sorry, I was thinking of, um, I'm thinking of Final Girl Support Group. That's the one that she's playing in, not this one. Yeah. Um, but I'm just ready for more of his, his stuff. He's just, he's a lot of fun to read. He, you really get pulled into his world. Yeah. I know that you really like him and I think that's amazing. Yeah. I am not finished with that book. I've been reading uh, the book club book that, well, I was reading The Only Good Indians, which was before this, and in our mm-hmm. book club for our patrons. And so now I'm reading the next one, which is called uh, Where the Dead Go to Die, which is a, a quickie. It's like a little over 200 pages. And it's about zombies. It's a it's a really interesting, I'm about halfway through, it's an interesting take on on a zombie apocalypse that's more like if we were to have to live with it in other words Mm -hmm. think of it like covid or or anything else that we we now live with meaning if Mm -hmm. there was an initial zombie apocalypse of course but they don't really talk about that yet at least not so far Mm -hmm. in the part that i've read and there was like we were living with it there was a part there were parts of the world that were more infiltrated than others and other people were still, you know, going to work and having their kids go to school and stuff. And you just had to be really careful (laughs) and that there were hospices. This is the first few chapters of this and that there were hospices. In other words, that you, you could live with zombieism or whatever. I can't remember what they call it, but they call them bone eaters, I think, which is the derogatory term for somebody with this condition. And there's hospice care for them and nurses and nurses that work with them. And the main character starts out the first couple of chapters as, as that nurse, as one of the nurses. And she gets hired into one of these hospices, switching from another one. And then you kind of get to know that world for the first couple of chapters. And then it kind of flashes back and you get to know her story and all of that. So it's an interesting, different kind of take on zombie stuff. So far, I like it. So I'm excited to read it. I just sent it to the wrong address, <laughs> <laughs> but I will be reading it and I'll give you my feedback. That's what happens that when you're such it. a jet setter working I'm all, just over, all the country. over the place. Oh, yes. um, no, I'm excited to read it. Look, it sounds really good. Cool. I wanted to talk about a movie I, I watched recently called Titan. It's Titan, a, a metal. <laughs> this is, it's surreal. It's very interesting. It's by the same filmmaker, French female filmmaker, who did the movie Raw. So if if you guys have seen that, which I have, it has a very specific style and it's a really good movie, body horror. A metal highly resistant, titane, a metal highly resistant to heat and corrosion with high tensile strength alloys often used in medical prosthesis due to its pronounced biocompatibility. So... How to explain this movie? So it's provocative, it's original, just like Raw was. This writer director, Julia Decornu, I don't know, I probably pronounced that really bad, but I try to it's give like it a Gerard French Zipel. accent. <laughs> I try to give it a French accent so it sounded like I knew what I was doing, but I have no idea if that's the way you're pronounced. It's disturbing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I don't want to say too much about it because of what it is, just because it's. It's one of those movies where the words that you would use to describe it kind of don't do it justice. There is a strong female character that is at the helm of this. It's it's absurd. 
it, it, it defies physics. Uh, this woman is an interesting character. And then she appears to get pregnant with, I guess, a metal baby. <laughs> so that's the word titan, right? So, but then there's this sort of odd relationship with this man that takes her in and it's very haunting. It's very surreal. It's like I said, it's kind of absurd. It's sort of messy and weird and original. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like it. It's getting really good reviews. I really liked it. I kind of less leaned in and let it take me there. It's getting good mm-hmm. audience reviews and good critic reviews. So okay. for being such a strange movie, I'm that surprises me. <laughs> right. It's one of those ones where it's like a hybrid body horror movie, mm-hmm. but then also this woman obviously has some, you know, daddy stuff. And she has some aberrant sexuality that it's kind of on a lot of lists for, you know, horror movies with aberrant sexuality in them. And it's like, she's turned on by cars. Okay. So, and then, and then off you go into the races. So anyway, I liked it. I recommend it. It's kind of mesmerizing. It's French body horror. So if you're into body horror, go for it. Excellent. Yeah. What did you watch? Um, I watched a, a psychological horror uh, that came out this year called Phobias. It was really interesting. It, again, it got mixed reviews as well. Um, I, I I liked it, I think, for the psychological element. As far as, I'll tell you what it's about in a moment, um, more, more depth than just it's about phobias. Uh, <laughs> the, the problematic in the sense, though, that there were one, two, three, four, five directors um, and the reason for that is they all take uh, a different phobia. They all direct a different phobia, which is cool. But then it also, um, in some ways, made it a little disjointed for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Macy Gray is in it, and she's awesome in it. She's <laughs> really good in it. Um, so it's about five dangerous patients suffering from extreme phobias at a government testing facility are put to the ultimate test under the supervision of a crazed doctor and his quest to weaponize fear. So what you at the very beginning, um, you don't realize that they're in the, the first story, the first fear, and there's five fears. Robophobia, which is the fear of robots. Viaphobia, the fear of driving. Ephebophobia, which is the fear of youth. Uh, mm. Hopelophobia, which is the fear of firearms. And telephobia, which is the obsessive fear of imperfection, which is the fear that Macy Gray plays the the main character in that segment. But then they all sort of intertwine. Um, What happens is these five individuals are at this government testing site and the, 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 the scientist, doctor, guy, whatever, pulls each one of them in and sort of puts them under and stimulates their phobia. And while he does that, he's in a sense like sort of boxing and containing the fear that he then will use to weaponize, you know, in a military sense onto other people. So that's sort of the framing story of the anthology is that's in every part of it is that they're used, they're kind of weaponizing or using this. Okay. Gotcha. So he put, he puts them under to stimulate something that's happened in their life. They relive like a traumatic memory Mm -hmm. that stimulates how that phobia was um, created. And so from a psychological perspective, I thought that was really cool. Um, from the, the, the film as a whole, the film is okay, but I liked the concept of it quite a lot. Um, 
and I thought the acting was really good in it as well. It just they, from a from a structural like more cinematic space. I'm like I think they could have done a better job, but I liked what it was about, and I liked the the overall message. Um, of just like you know, using the individual fears to make doses of fear. Oh yeah, to weaponize. Yeah, and I found that on Hulu. Oh okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I see it here. I was looking it up while you were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Macy Gray. <laughs> Does she's it have so, her music in it too? <laughs> no, but at first I didn't recognize her. You know, I've seen her live, and and so when she was acting, I'm like, why do I know that voice? And um. <laughs> And I've never seen her in a role like this. She plays a very depressed uh, OCD. She plays the role incredibly well. Um, and she has a, a, a very narcissistic father that is like, you know, the the root of all of this um, obsess- obsessive, you know, ness with um, the fear of imperfection is what I'm trying to say. Sure. So her story is really great. And um, like I said, there's elements of it I thought were really great. It just, it was, it just felt a little disjointed to me. Okay. That's fair. I also watched my heart can't beat unless you tell it to, which is a 2020 horror drama. It's 90 minutes long. Dwight prowls the streets after dark. (laughs) He searches each night for the lonely and forlorn looking for people who won't be missed typical vampire right dwight takes no joy in this but he needs their blood without fresh human blood his fragile young brother thomas cannot survive so he's out hunting for his brother's food each death takes a larger toll the burden of his crimes weighing heavier each time threatening to crack his spirit but thomas played by owen campbell and his sister jesse played by ingrid sophie scram are all the family Dwight has left. And as a fiercely private and close-knit family unit, they depend on him and the rituals they've learned in order to keep their secret. But while Dwight yearns for another life, Jesse needs them to stay together and always the boy must feed. So Hmm. this is a really interesting movie. It's very atmospheric. It's very kind of grim in a way it's got that slow art house feel i mean titane is certainly an art house feel it won the palme d'or con film festival so like very mm-hmm. much you know winning the awards in film festivals well this one uh, i don't know its lineage as far as film festivals are concerned probably none but this one's got more of a vampire uh there's one that's called lovers. Uh, I can't remember it right. The second, um, it's a vampire movie, but it's got a feel like that. It's called only lovers left alive from 2015, more lyrical, more slow, more thoughtful, more seductive. Like, like what you feel like a vampire would feel like being around (laughs) to me. I mean, I think that that really works this kind of moody, uh, ethereal quality to stuff really works for me for vampire movies. But this movie is mm-hmm. also a family drama. You've got a brother and a sister taking care of another brother who happens to be a vampire and needs to feed and gets really sick okay. if they don't. Okay. It's visually striking. So it's got a different kind of look to it, like the colors they use and such. It's unsettling. It's compelling. And the human story that's happening there is very compelling and I found very emotional. And what is the name of it? Name it's of it? called My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. Okay. Interesting. 
Yeah, it's an Sounds interesting good. one. It's it's a there's some, must be some very talented people behind this because it's uh, it's grim, but it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's dark, it's meditative, it's brooding, it's all of those things, and um, mm. and I really liked it, and I need to watch it again because it's one of those ones where I'm like what just happened <laughs> kind of yeah. emotional you know of of the choices they have to make and what happens it's uh it's a compelling like a human drama like what if you were faced with one of your brothers you know had vampirism and that's crazy what and what ne- what did you find this on what did you watch it on i don't remember okay. i don't remember i think it's a rental actually okay. so it was that's really good. good i recommend it yeah I watched one that was not nearly as profound. <laughs> uh, Yay! It came out. It came out this year. Uh, it's called uh, "The Babysitter Must Die" or "Babysitter Must Die." Oh um, yes. Mm-hmm. During a game of hide and seek, a pack of cultists invade the house of a wealthy family to find apocalyptic secret hidden in the walls. What they don't know is babysitter Josie is armed with a handful of kick-ass skills. <laughs> so. Um, it's not great. I mean, it's fun. It's not a great movie, but it, it, it had fun moments where, you know, first of all, the babysitter, she's got these massive pigtails. If you, <laughs> if you look up the, but she looks like she's about 36. You know, like, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden this family, it's like an invasion horror, you know, where the, yeah. these, these people come in, they're in a cult or whatever, but the babysitter just all of a sudden saves the day and she's got all of these you know like it says kick-ass skills that out of nowhere she's like martial <laughs> arts she's using the nunchuck she like saves nice. the family essentially <laughs> so um that's a lot of fun in that re- in that respect it was a lot of fun and the action was a lot of fun um so you know it's if you want something kind of entertaining and 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 you know sometimes we need things to dumb us down uh it's fun absolutely fun. absolutely yeah. that sounds fun i just looked up the poster which looks fun it just looks like yeah. a you know slash it, it yeah it almost has like a like um a harley quinn sort of feel like when you look at her i see right? that's what like they're that going kinda, for yeah yeah i could see that yeah. which is cute cute girl mm-hmm. in some pigtails <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> covered in blood basically <laughs> absolutely um and my heart can't beat unless you tell it to is on shutter and prime right now excellent yeah okay i may check that out and so is this next movie i wanted to talk about uh, the movie is called sun 2021 mystery thriller horror so i really liked this it's getting mixed reviews you know critics like it more than than viewers but i actually really like this it's a it's a uk film after a mysterious group of individuals breaks into laura's home and attempts to steal her eight-year-old son david the two of them flee town in search of safety, but soon after the failed kidnapping, David becomes, David's the son, becomes extremely ill, suffering from increasingly sporadic psychosis and convulsions. So it's really interesting because I didn't watch this movie even though I saw that people were watching it and that some people were saying they really liked it. I didn't watch it because... I don't know. I've just been watching a lot of horror movies with kids in it lately. I was like, okay, I'm good on the kid thing. <laughs> like, I can't. I'm I'm good. I just don't want to do it. So I just kept passing it by when I would flip by and shudder, because this is on shudder. And I would flip sure. by and I flip by and flip by. And finally, I started, um, as we do, I like to find different movies that people are talking about and then try, have us you know, have me try to talk about them. And that's what you do as well. And so everybody, you know, this is on kind of lists of 2021 good horror movies. And so fine, fine. 
I'll watch it. Fine. And then it ends up, you know, he, this kid is sick, but it only every now and then, right? And so he has these convulsions and psychosis and he starts trying to bite and it's just like, you're like, what's going on? Okay. Is the kid a vampire? Is he a zombie? Like what's happening? Is he conduct disorder? Yeah. Like uh, what's happening? So following her maternal instincts to save him, Laura commits unspeakable acts to keep him alive. So this is kind of like the last movie I was just talking about where there's like Mm -hmm. a family member that has some issue and blood is the answer. (laughs) So it's your your theme this week, apparently, or this, this year with movies, right? I was just trying to catch up on some newer movies, but so Laura commits unspeakable acts to keep him alive, but soon she must decide how far she's willing to go to save her son. And that's Mm -hmm. sort of a similar idea to the last film I was talking about, but these two movies have very different styles. Whereas Mm -hmm. this is definitely more of a straightforward horror movie even though there are these, I don't know, there's an amped up version of that paranoia that parents can get about like what's going on with my kid. Uh, it's, it's kind of like I read one review that said something about slow burn horror, like the seventies, like it takes a while, but you kind of, I don't know. I was still interested because you kind of don't know what's going on with him for the first chunk of it. I mean, you can, you know, you watched enough horror movies, you can kind of ascertain what's happening, but I think it's Mm -hmm. a pretty solid offering to the world of horror. And I, and I would say it's a strong contender for, you know, like top 25 or what have you. Wow. And for 2021, son, son. Okay. Yeah. Like her son. Cool. S O N. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Good stuff already coming out this year. Right on. Yeah, 2021's been pretty good. I'm hopeful that in a couple of weeks for our patrons, we can do a, you know, you and I can put forward our favorite 2021 movies, horror movies. Sure. We can do that maybe as a, a mini cast on, on Patreon to uh, to talk about our newer favorite ones. And I'm looking forward to 2022. Let's see what it has to offer. You know, we're back in the theaters. <laughs> oh, you and I need to go some see some stuff in the theater. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And we will when you get your butt back to town. And then we'll I'm going to go and then I'm going to leave. So yeah, <laughs> February we'll it out. in February. And then, we'll, I le- and then I leave in March. There you go. We'll have one month. <laughs> I'll, see you in, I'll see you in April. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the next thing we would like to do is re- we really want those answers. We want those answers I to your tell you're excited facts. Yeah, I'll give them to you. Thank thank you. Appreciate that. You're so good to me. All right. I wouldn't leave you hanging like that. Number one. Thank God. How many gallons of fake blood were used on the uh, on the set of Reanimator? Josh Nolan, the makeup artist, said it was the bloodiest movie he'd ever worked on. I don't know, but I will say, I don't know, 25 gallons. Oh, my God. 24 gallons. I was close. <laughs> I almost That's got incredible. it. I thought that was yeah. an overshot. I I was going to say well, 50, but <laughs> then I was like, mm, I think 50 is probably a really an overshot. But then I'm like, well, if I say 25, then it's 15. I didn't know. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it was not. what? Okay. So it was what? Sorry. What was the answer? Tw- 24. Oh, okay, cool. 24. Right on. Number That's two. a lot of fucking blood. That's a lot. I know he was like it, it literally the bloodiest movie. I mean, if you think on. of gallon drums, right? Gallon yeah. drums like that are on the side of the road. That's a little. Okay. I'm, I'm done That's now. a lot of blood. Number two. Okay. 
What New Year's movie is centered around a New Year's Eve celebration where L.A. DJ, Los Angeles DJ, receives a phone call saying that when New Year's strikes in each time zone, someone someone will be murdered and she will be the last one? I don't know the answer to that. It's called New Year's Evil, and it came out oh. in 1980. Okay. Oldie. Yeah, I would not know that movie. Okay. Have you Number seen three. it? No? Mm. I, I have not. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Okay, cool. Number three, Kevin Williamson, who wrote the script for Scream, was influenced by a documentary called Turning Point, based on what real-life serial killer? Uh, well, I, kn- I think Turning Point is the m- movie about 9-11? No. Okay. So this is actually about a serial killer. Um, so I'm like, was Gaines- it Osama bin Laden? <laughs> but no. no it was, it, okay. Gainesville, so if Scream actually um, takes place... The, the original serial killer was in Gainesville, Florida. So it's actually after the Gainesville Ripper. Oh, okay. Um, and gotcha. so I was thinking it's possible that we might maybe when we do the Scream franchise, yeah. if it's not super long, we might want to do some, you know, little bit on, on this real Sounds influence. great. The Gainesville yeah. Ripper and there's a documentary called The Turning Point on it. All yep. right. Yeah, we can totally include uh, that, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Number four, in Carl Lemley's Dracula, Dracula quotes, listen to them, children of the night, what music they make. In what horror film was this line recycled? Mm, the Lost Boys. Gary Oldman <laughs> says it in Bram Stoker's Dracula, and he says it in such a creepy way. That makes more sense. Um, it's, after the, the, it's right after Jonathan gets there, and the, the wolves are cry, they're howling. And he just says it in his creepy Gary Oldman kind of way. And I, I never knew that it was actually from Carl Lemley's original Dracula. No, that's super cool. cool. Uh, and the last one, what comedy director who loves the horror genre produced The Fly? This is the only one I thought. I think I know. <laughs> right when you said it. There's maybe sometimes one that I actually feel I know. Uh, Mel Brooks. Yeah. Yeah. So he, apparently he told Cronenberg, who directed it, to not hold back and go as far as he wanted. Oh, it was great. I what I, the only reason why I know that is I watched. Uh, I think we talked about the fly. I don't know, a chunk of time back for some reason. Yeah, two or three months ago. One of our lists or something. I have no idea. And I remember I watched. Uh, I watched it, and then I watched some of the like special features or whatever around it. And, and so, I, so it's just like imprinted in my mind. I knew because mm-hmm. it's such a disjointed thing. Mel Brooks, the fly. I know. Sort of doesn't make sense in what we know, Mel Brooks, but I Not think at that's all. but I think that's so great, right? Like the so such a variety of things he's worked on and done. Which is impressive, sure. very impressive. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Terror Talk. We very much appreciate you. And uh next time we'll be here next week. We're gonna talk about the City of Angel City of Death documentary. We are. Very exciting to think about that. So I'll be finishing up. Well, Kathy's already watched it. I have to finish watching it. So I actually have, I actually have, uh, I slowed down so I, I'd have more to remember. So I have a couple of episodes left to watch. Though. Yeah, we try to watch the things yeah. close to recording so that we don't yeah. <laughs> forget. I mean, notes are one thing, but having the affective, visceral sure. memory of watching it because mm-hmm. we're shrinkies, uh, we mm-hmm. know the value of that. So thank you so much for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.